Welcome to The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Today, as part of our family, you will experience the life-changing and spirit-nurturing Word of God. Please enjoy this time with us as we're committed to helping you grow in knowledge, grow in faith, and grow in God. St. Mark Baptist Church, you grow here. Well, welcome back to the Growth Factor podcast, a broadcast ministry of the St. Mark Baptist Church here in Little Rock, Arkansas. My name is Pastor John Richards. I'm the pastor of Assimilation here at St. Mark, and I'm here with our senior pastor, Dr. Philip L. Pointer Sr. And we've been walking through a series called Knock Off Spirituality. We've been walking through spiritual practices that I call unspiritual disciplines that many Christians practice and hopefully unpacking them biblically so you can see that there are practices that you are, may be doing that aren't biblical and do not de- contribute to your spiritual growth and development. This episode is no different. This is episode five, and the name of this episode is It's Above Me Now. It's Above Me Now. <laughs> and it's talking about manifestation and the Christian, but... Many of you all know the reference to those words because it was a viral clip many years ago where a young African-American man who was a clerk at a hotel was berated by a customer, wanted them to give him a room, and he just got frustrated, threw his hands up and said, it's above me now. Listen, once he called corporate in, he said, hey, (laughs) even if I wanted to, I couldn't help you. It's it's above me now. I can't help you. Yeah. Recognizing that there was an entity outside of himself Mm -hmm. that could handle it, but he could no longer handle it himself. Now, that sounds like what should be the Christian approach to issues in our lives. But there's a new phenomenon that has the opposite approach. To where folks feel like they can manifest or speak things into existence or operate under this law of attraction to get things by saying things outside of the creator God himself. Yeah. And in the Christian space itself as well. Yeah. It's 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 interesting because um, some have and we'll talk about this in this episode in this study. Some have try to make the Bible <laughs> bend toward this practice um, and and misused scripture, um, taking the Bible out of context and listen, the best way to misunderstand the Bible is to take it out of its cultural and literary context. Yep. I can make the Bible say anything I want if I just manipulate the words and make them mean what I want them to say. But when I take it and I put it in its cultural context, who wrote it, why they wrote it, who they wrote it to, what was going on in the culture around it when it was written, and its literary context. What kind of literature is this? What is it, you know, is it, is it poetry? Is it prophecy? Is it history? Um, is it a letter? Is it an epistle that is to a specific people at a specific time for a specific reason? If I put it in its literary context, then I can then mine the truths of the scripture and learn the universal truth that is in that particular text. Manifestation is one of those ideas that when it comes to the Bible, people are doing what's called proof texting. Hmm. 
they'll take one verse uh, out of its context and use it to say this works. And 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 I wish it worked. John, listen, I wish desperately that I could speak something often enough or want something bad enough that it would just manifest based on my ability to attract it to myself. Mm. Unfortunately, that's not scriptural and it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work practically. And that's going to be a key theme in this episode. Context is key. We're going to hone in on that this entire episode because you have to understand these passages in proper context in order for you to understand why what you're saying you can do based on those passages, mm -hmm. you can't. You can't because it's not how the people who read it understood it and it's not how you would exposit the text or exegete the text, that big theological word, mm -hmm. interpret the text um, in order to fit our context as we bridge that historical gap between what happened between the ancient Near East or the first century and today in the, in the 21st century. And I think that it's important for us to understand that this practice of manifestation is actually a historical reality that's been steeped in the human experience. We mm. talked about this last time. Yeah. The, the central theme in manifestation is me. Right. <laughs> right. We talked about last episode with the earth being the center and people um, kicking against the idea that the earth wasn't the center of the solar system. Well, it's because it, it no longer made them the center because they lived on Earth and they could not understand why the sun would be the center. And it took away this autonomy they felt like they had. So we see this throughout a history specifically. And we're going to talk about our context, because I think when you think about even the lead, the three latest shifts in what we call worldviews, mm -hmm in our culture, it really demonstrates exactly how we got here. Yeah. How yeah. we got here. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there are three different eras that we want to talk about here, right? We want to talk about pre-modern culture, which was around 17th century. We want to talk about modern culture, which is between the 18th and the 20th century. And then we're going to talk about post-modern culture, which is the 20th century to today. Now, we hear a lot of stuff about baby boomers and millennials. All of these folks fit into these different worldviews that we're going to be discussing here. But you'll see why the manifestation um, principle works in the culture that we're in now and the world we're in now because many people fall into that category. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You know, so pre-modern, you're talking about that 17th century um, and and. Western world that says there's reality that's composed of spiritual and material. Mm -hmm. They saw a material world, time, space, and matter, um, and then a spiritual world. Now, al albeit not always the Christian idea of spirituality, but but the world as a as a whole, the Western world believed in spiritual things that there was an unseen reality that did not consist of time, space, and matter, that was just as real as time, space, and matter. Right. And, and this, is a, this is an important period of history in the Western world 
uh, because again, um, African and Eastern cultures always acquiesced, always knew, always believed that there was a there's something spiritual outside of of what is measurable and tangible. Always knew um, it comes forward into uh, uh, into Europe again. Europeans often, as they as they <laughs> as they would do, they would co-opt and and appropriate other belief systems and. Christianity is one of those things. Christianity was one of the things that uh, was spread into Europe from Africa and the Near East. Uh, and, and so there is this material and spiritual. Now, it has a couple of iterations, John. There are some who say that the two things are completely separate in, in this pre-modern. So they're completely separate and have nothing to do with each other. And then there is what would be more akin to what scripture teaches which is God is spirit and out of God who is spirit came the material mm. yeah mm. yeah that's good so and then we also move to this modern period mm-hmm. that is really bought on by what folks know as the enlightenment that there's this period of time where reality goes from this dual reality that many people are facing to saying hey our reality is now going to be only shaped by what we see and feel, mm-hmm. by what is material. So people are pushing back against this whole idea and concept of there being kind of the spirituality and a tangible reality living alongside one another. And this is a, a real tension that we see play out everywhere, even in education. Absolutely. So when you some people may have heard of the Scopes Monkey trial Mm -hmm. when they're trying to argue about evolution and whether we should be teaching certain things in schools, all that is bought on by this enlightenment thinking that we don't want the spiritual to live alongside reality. Yeah. And and that, that enlightenment period, John is brought on in the West, uh, in Europe by the corruption of Catholic church and, um, church of England. Mm-hmm. So because the church had become corrupt financially, politically, um, and and there were small pockets of resistance and, and reformation uh, had come, but it had not overtaken the, those, those other expressions. People are intentionally trying to undermine mm-hmm. the authority of the church. Uh, so that the church doesn't take all their money and the church doesn't affect politics all the way. This is why you get these revolutions. You get French Revolution. You get American Revolution. Um, people want to um, say God doesn't appoint a king. Hmm. That's what the Pope said. Pope said God gives you a king uh, like he did Israel. And they say, no, that ain't how it goes. We want to elect someone who represents us. We want someone who looks like us, who has our interests. To We want to put him in office that kind of thing, that enlightenment period also leads to a time in biblical interpretation yeah. that brings about what is taught in most seminaries today as fact, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is that the Bible is tampered with, that um, it's taught uh, today that um, that people redacted or edited the Bible to make it say what it says, that there's these all of these edits over the over these you know centuries and there is no documentation for any of this there there's no historical evidence for it someone thought it up made it a theory and it's now taught as fact 
but it was because they wanted to intentionally undermine the authority of the church in and, the West. And not just the church, like the Jesus seminars. Yes. Oh, yeah. Trying to under, undermine the person and work of Jesus mm-hmm. through scholarly work. That scholarly, said, quote unquote. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that said that, you know, Slymarker and others, like, hey, listen, uh, this Jesus that you read in this text isn't necessarily one that was steeped in reality, mm-hmm. but something that was made up in the minds of spiritual folks. Yeah. And so there's not only just the undermining of the church when you talk about spiritual realities, because the pendulum swung that way for sure. There's a, a pendulum swinging even further to saying, I'm underlying the core essence of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is taught in seminaries. Yeah. And, and, and what John's talking about with that Jesus seminar is a group of, of people who called themselves scholars um, who went through the Gospels, through the statements of Jesus Christ, and determined, no, Jesus didn't really say this. This was added later. Mm-hmm. Based on nothing, literally <laughs> out of the thin air and their imagination. The, oh, no, he, he, didn't, he didn't really say this. He did say the love part. He said love your, your enemy, he, or he did say, you know, love one another. But he didn't say the part about, um, you know, judgment and, and, and wrath. He didn't say those things because, you know, that's not who Jesus is. And the, the, the sad reality is mm-hmm. um, that Enlightenment period created a school of scholarship that many people have fallen prey to even to this day. That, that they deny the miracles of the Bible, they deny, even when they, when they, even when they preach and teach it, mm. they preach and teach a Bible that they don't trust. They start with what is called in seminaries a hermeneutic of suspicion. Yeah. And, the, and that comes from the enlightenment period, an intentional undermining of the church that, that has denied that there is a spiritual and material world. It's just material. That's where the scientific method comes in, um, where... Um, science says this is how we measure and test and when we measure and test our results are fact mm-hmm. um, and and that that comes out of that period of time yeah and then the pendulum now swings back mm-hmm. the other way because once people get into this space they want to kick against that yeah and say okay I don't like that very much now Here's the period that we move into that we're going to be discussing at length today. And this is the postmodern period, which is a 20th century reality from 20th century forward to today. And this is a movement that says that reality is really composed of what our human minds can imagine. Mm-hmm. That whatever our human minds imagine that reality needs to be shaped by that. And it created this autonomous, individualized culture, not just outside the church either. No. Because when you think about a lot of Christian tradition and practices, the origin of Christian faith was always lived out in community. Always. Always lived out in community. Then we got these camp meetings Mm-hmm. We got folks coming down to the altar mm-hmm. to make an individual, mm-hmm. personal decision to follow Christ, walk down that sawdust trail, mm-hmm. and not join a community of people 
because it's an individualized, definitely decision that they're making. Yeah. And love Billy Graham. Oh, yeah. Love him. Sure. Uh, evangelist. Kind of. Kind of. Sort of. <laughs> right. I love the heart behind the gospel. <laughs> and so he had all these meetings and he is one of the progenitors of this individualized mm-hmm. decision at different cities that he went to but didn't necessarily connect people with the local body. Yeah. Th- this was the question. Have you accepted Jesus as, as your, your personal, personal savior? Yeah. That was that's the question that comes out of that time period in Christian circles. It comes from the revivalist movement. Mm-hmm. This is why oh boy, I talked about this in St. Mark before. I'm going to say it again to mess up some people's lives. Um, this is why churches have an invitation to discipleship now. Mm-hmm. That didn't come from the Bible. Did not. <laughs> that did not come from, from the Bible. It came from the local church trying to mimic and respond to the revivalist movement mm. that made people come down and make a decision for Jesus Christ. Come make a decision. Come make a decision for Jesus Christ. Pray a sinner's prayer. For most of the church's history, from the time of our Lord Jesus Christ until um, mid um, 18th century when it first started, I'm sorry, mid 19th century when it first started into the 20th, where it became common, and now it's almost assumed in 21st century, folks weren't walking the aisle to make a decision for Jesus. Nope. That didn't happen until the mid 19th century. That is a new phenomenon. Mm Mm-hmm. What, how, well, how did people come to know Jesus Christ? How did they how did they get saved? They did so in community. They did so in conversations. They did so in groups. They did so in their families, in their homes, and with their neighbors. Yeah. And then they gathered with other people who were like-minded believers, and that's how they were incorporated into the body life of a church. It wasn't walking an aisle. Now, yeah. um, has God used it? I certainly believe so. Has God? Will God? transform people's lives who do so absolutely is it is it wrong not no not necessarily wrong to walk an aisle Mm -hmm. to join a church or accept christ but but it comes from its origin is that individualized concept of spirituality what's really called humanism yeah yeah what's really called humanism And, and you know when you hear this phrase you know it springs from this particular context in postmodern culture because when you ask people to come and connect with the local community, they'll say this. Oh, no, I have my own personal relationship. Personal relationship with Jesus Christ. With Jesus. This is, this is, I don't believe in organized religion. <laughs> I don't believe in organized religion. So you want organization in every other aspect of your life. You want the government to be organized. You don't want an unorganized bank. You don't want to send your kids to an unorganized school. You don't want your hairdresser to make your hair unorganized. <laughs> There's, in every other aspect of your life, you want organization. You want the FDA to test that meat before they <laughs> let it get in the supermarket. Yep. You, want the, you want them to test that pilot before you get on a plane. Organization mm-hmm. in all of these ways. Now, is it institutional? We shouldn't have institutionalism. But the church should be organized. The community of body and body life of believers should be organized in some way. Yeah. yeah. And this isn't unique to the Christian faith and denomination. Like when you look at uh, folks like Christian scientists, yeah, their view on scripture, if you go to one of their reading rooms, they will just have the texts that talk about healing mm-hmm. in the Bible open without 
using any other text in their tradition. Yeah. Because their founder, maybe Mary Baker Edie, was healed miraculously. Mm -hmm. So she was drawn to these texts. And there's an individualized version of that in Christian science because they are individual practitioners. Mm -hmm. um, they gather from time to time, but generally you can just walk in the church and have an individual experience that springs from this postmodern context because self is at center yeah. of this whole process, right? Yeah. So, so that's what we see. This postmodern culture makes it ripe for what we, what we want to talk about today, which is manifestation and the law of attraction. Yeah, um, you, you look at it and, you know, it really... It boils down to the secret. Um, you, you have Napoleon Hill's work early on, uh, early 20th century, uh, Think and Grow Rich, which um, was a forerunner to the 2006 book, The Secret, which talks about the law of attraction. Um, and it's, it's simple. It's this. It's whatever consumes your thoughts most, that's what you're going to get in life. And that's where the idea of manifestation comes from. I can think my way or concentrate my way, meditate my way into the life I want, mm -hmm. into the life I want. And, and, you know, the explanation is that, you know, all energy has a frequency, you know, that's, that's same with your thoughts and, and they, your thoughts emit a frequency too. Um, and, and your thoughts attract like energies. This is why people say, I'm not going to let you mess up my vibe, my energy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, that if you see it negatively, most of the time we do it negatively, this is their argument, we do it negatively, oh, I can't buy a home, I'll never lose this weight, I'll never find somebody to love me, and that's why it's not happening, because your thoughts are so negative and it attracts those negative, uh, it sends out negative vibes and frequencies, and that's what you get, because that's what you attract. So that if you turn positive, if you turn it toward can do and will do and all of those things, then you'll attract positive things that's yeah. the that's the idea yeah yeah and and this was really popularized when oprah winfrey yeah. got a hold of it yeah and made it part of her book club the shack mm -hmm. a movie that she helped produce yeah um has some of these elements and components to it right so mm -hmm. she she really is someone who has helped propel this into popular culture mm-hmm and it's not just something that is part of secular culture, though. It yeah. has become part of some churches' culture. Yeah. And you and I talk about our frustrations with this a lot, especially as pastors and leaders who try to be faithful to the gospel mm -hmm. and knowing that there are folks out there who, who struggle not with their faith but also in life with their finances and everything else. And to see something like this invade the church in the form of what we have come to call the prosperity gospel movement um, is something that is both disheartening for us and we want to help folks correct some of those misgivings or thoughts that aren't necessarily biblical yeah. in that context because there's this new idea that believers are now responsible for our own happiness right right that we're able to channel our thoughts and monies <laughs> monies yeah. in right. the right direction right. right and then you'll get good results right so there's two components to it right you you think good thoughts you get good results the other part of it is economic mm-hmm 
if you put your money in the right place, you're going to get back what you put your money in for. Yeah. And so that's the the essence of the prosperity gospel, which kind of uh, came about in this new age thought era with this guy named Charles Fillmore, who actually rewrote Psalm 23 yeah. to say, the Lord is my banker. My credit is good. And and his thought was, again, along these same lines of being able to attract, uh, there's a manifestation there. If he's saying that the Lord, if you see the, if you see God as your banker, ima- imagine, just imagine yeah. if people start seeing God in that way. As a matter of fact, there are people who do see him in that way yes, without are. actually recognizing it yeah there's a distinct difference between god as banker and god as shepherd yeah Yeah. a distinct difference and we need to be able to make that difference even when people are telling us differently people in pulpits are telling us differently right yeah so man this is such a this is again i want it to work and it's and the and the thing about the reason it creeps in and it fits so well in some people's minds is because it's near enough to the Bible. Mm. The Bible does say give and it will be given. Paul says uh, God gives seed for the sower. That these things are true in Scripture, but there's always a larger and grander idea other than just you getting money. The issue is always why and who for. Um, and God is not against personal prosperity. God is not against people who have means and money. He he was close with Mary, Martha, the, Jesus walked with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Clearly, they were people with means that and money. He, he called Matthew from the tax table where he was scheming, basically, to, and making <laughs> money. I mean, that's not, that's not necessarily bad. Not saying money is bad. And he addresses rich church members. Yes. And they address them in the epistles. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're people who had means. Priscilla, who is the, uh, um, um, or Lydia rather, uh, who, who mm-hmm. starts uh, the church in Philippi in her home. Obviously, she has some means and she has some money. Uh, the, the idea is who and what for? Why? Why and who for? The, the issue with prosperity gospel is that, again, it puts me at the center mm-hmm. and it inevitably leads to, and, and you listen to these faith teachers, they it leads to God is now obligated, has no choice but to respond in a certain way. God got God has to bless you. God, you put God back up against the wall, mm. and therefore God is going to have to do it because you've practiced these principles. And none of that is true. None of that is true because the scripture is clear, and we I'm getting ahead of myself, but God reserves the right mm. for you to be totally and completely faithful. And to not prosper you in the way that you desire to be prospered. Yeah, yeah. The, and and the point is that it is not for you. <laughs> Your life is not for you. We do not exist for ourselves, and that's the issue with manifestation. Let me tell you the other thing about manifestation, and as it has crept into um, prosperity gospel in the church, um, and and so here's what happened. This 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 gets me, Pastor John. What gets me is. I got a lot of things working in my mind. One, (laughs) people got upset with prosperity preachers. Yeah. So the prosperity preacher has become now, for the most part, 
in a lot of places um, persona non grata. Mm-hmm. We don't really do prosperity preachers like that. Not really. But people carry the prosperity principles yeah. that the prosperity preacher taught them outside of the church, and they're calling it manifestation. Yeah. So what you got is the same thing the prosperity preachers were saying, and what you accuse them of, that's what you're doing. That's manifestation. It's the same thing. Yeah. That's, that's what you're doing by saying, I'm going to think my way into it, I'm going to speak it into existence, is the same thing you vilified the prosperity preacher for. And here's the thing. You can't have it both ways. Cannot. Either God is going to be sovereign or he's going to be your genie. Mm-hmm. And if you think you can rub a Bible verse <laughs> and get what you want, then you are laughing in the face of God's sovereignty and your trust in his care. Yeah. That he is going to take care of all of your needs according to his riches and glory. That, that your trust needs to be there enough for you to say, no, I'm not going to treat you like I'm rubbing a genie in a bottle so you can come out and meet my needs. But I'm, I'm treating you as a sovereign God that knows what it is that I need. Mm-hmm. And here's what I'm, I'm, I, I, I wrote this down to make sure I was going to say it right. This is baptized heresy. Mm. It, is, it is antithetical to the gospel. It is an affront to God. It is putting yourself in God's place, and yet we act as if it's God's will. And it, it is not. It is, that is, if you don't hear anything else, saying that things are going to manifest because you say so is deifying yourself and dismissing the sovereignty and the providence and the care of God. Yeah, and I think that it would be good at this point to, to talk about what scripture says yeah. about that because yeah. scripture is very clear and we want to make sure we always ground what we're saying in God's word. And I think this first uh, passage, first couple of passages we're going to look at really hones in on this truth that many people need to know mm-hmm. because it serves as the overarching truth of this episode. And if people know this, then hopefully they'll understand that this practice of the law of attraction or manifestation is just not biblical, it's but not also biblical. it just flies in the face of who God is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so let's talk about the writers of scripture. Yeah. The folks who wrote the Bible, uh, they wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. God wrote through their personalities. Obviously you see that in the life of, of Paul and Peter and the way they wrote, uh, Peter says that some of the stuff Paul wrote. It's hard to it, understand. It's hard to understand. <laughs> and some of us say, amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Peter said, man, sometimes Paul be talking in his words, man. Right. I'm trying to get it all down. <laughs> you got to read it five times. Peter said, man, Paul wrote that stuff, and it's hard to understand. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, scripture starts in Genesis, and we, we talked a little bit about the, the power of God in the last episode to create the signs in the sky. But what you see in this account is a very intentional use of language that sets the tone for the use of that language throughout Scripture. Right. And when you see that, you need to make sure you take notice of that. John, it's called the law of first mention. mention. Yeah. First mention says 
in order to understand a, a, a subject in the Bible, I look at where it is literally first mentioned and how it is used because that sets a precedent for how it will be used in Scripture and how it is to be understood in Scripture going forward. Hmm. And so what we're talking about now is God's power to create, and we're looking at its first mention. Yeah. And the first mention is in the first verse. Yeah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that one verse could be a whole sermon series. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah. But there's a word in there that we really want to unpack here, and that is that word to create in the original language in Hebrew. Uh, it's the word bara uh, in the Hebrew. And interestingly, if you read through the entire creation account, it's used 18 times. Mm-hmm. Only used of God in Genesis, and not just in Genesis. Anytime you see this word in the Old Testament, it's attributed to one person. It's not you, it's not me, it's not Moses. It's not Aaron. Yeah. It's God. It's God. And it's intentional. It's, it's intentional. It's a God-only word because it's a God-only concept. Create. We talked about it a, a little bit, but we're going to drill down with it further today. We're talking about creation ex nihilo is the term. Out of nothing. Create means God doesn't, it's not God recycling. <laughs> it's not God um taking these materials and then pulling them together and making something out of them. No, it is, it doesn't exist. Hmm. And it create, it requires imagination and power. Hmm. Yeah. Im- divine imagination. When you look at creation, when you look at everything we see, what you're seeing is the product of God's imaginative capacity that we just don't have. Yeah. Yeah. You 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 who who invents grass? Who 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 imagines? Let me let me invent this thing called a tree. Um <laughs> this is this is God doing that kind of thing and then God has the power mm. to bring it from imagination into here we go manifestation. It starts with divine thought and intention and it comes through uh divine power into existence. The only person in scripture that only. can manifest only anything is God Almighty. That's it. That's the central truth that we got here in this podcast. Yeah, like yeah, only we, person we could shut it down right there. <laughs> we can be done there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Based on scripture, the only person who manifests, creates ex nihilo from scratch, no other material, is God. Yeah. Not you, not your thoughts, not your money. But God Almighty himself, and it isn't just limited to the creation account. No, no. To the stars, the, the animals. There's, there's a text in, in Psalm 51. Yep. And David is writing this text, right? Mm-hmm. And he has um, just had an episode with Bathsheba and has been uh, someone who recognizes the weight of his sin. Yeah. After go ahead. He's taken another man's wife, wife. Mm-hmm. while while the man was serving David as king. He sent him to war. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to war. David is supposed to be out there, but instead he's looking at uh, his neighbor's balcony. Mm-hmm. He sees her out there taking a bath. He takes her in, 
has sex with her. She gets pregnant. Hmm. David then brings the husband home, gets him drunk, tries to get him to go sleep with the wife so that she can say it's his, her husband's. Dude is too loyal. He sleeps at the, at the doorstep of the king. He won't go home. And he says, how can I go do this with my, when my brothers are out on the battlefield? Mm-hmm. So long and short is David has his general put him in the front line, has him killed, and takes uh, Bathsheba, this woman, to be his wife. Mm-hmm. Well, God sends a prophet named Nathan and say, hey, man, let me tell you a story. There was a cat who had a, all these flocks of sheep, and his neighbor had one little ewe lamb, a little young female lamb, and um, and he took, he had some guests come, and rather than use one of his major flock, one of those sheep, he takes the neighbor's little ewe lamb. Yeah. David says, man, we got to kill this dude. Nate, uh, Nathan the prophet says, that's you. <laughs> you did that. That's what you did. And that's what Psalm 51 is written on the back of. It's David having to have been confronted mm. with the extreme egregious violation of divine order of his position as king, taking advantage of a loyal soldier and, and essentially using his authority uh, to cover his tracks. Yeah, and as a right result of that, he writes this particular psalm, mm-hmm. right? And I'm going to read the first verse and then go down to the uh, Barah verse. But he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, mm-hmm. according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Then in verse 10, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Verse 10, create in me a Again, the mm-hmm. word Barak. Same, same the, word as Genesis 1. The only person that can create a new heart yeah. in David, mm-hmm. in this instance, isn't him trying to make up to what happened, for what happened, but God himself has to create a new heart in him yeah. so that he can have his spirit renewed. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, this is the gospel. Yes. Right here in the middle of Psalm 51. Yeah. As a result of that renewed heart, he turns around and says, now I want to teach transgressors your ways. Yeah. Yeah. To show them what your salvation looks like. It's not anything I do myself. Yeah. Yeah. I can't manifest my salvation. <laughs> I can't get myself out of this. No. No. I can't do it. I'm going to need you who I've read, who I've heard orally is the only one that can barah or create Mm -hmm. anything new. My heart is wretched and I need for you to be able to create in me a new heart. And, 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 and listen to that, listen to that incredible idea and its intensity, Mm. not, not, not reform me. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Not not patch me up. Not you know what I mean? This is not I'm not I'm not coming into the shop for repair mm. in this. I am compl- I have wrecked 
the 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 thing is totaled is going to the junk pile. Mm. So I need something totally different to manage my life from now on. And that's, again, that's the essence of the gospel, that we cannot rescue ourselves, cannot save ourselves. And this is what separates. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is why manifestation doesn't work. It doesn't work. This is why it is incompatible, incompatible with biblical faith, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't work. They cannot jive together hmm. because one of them says, you have this power. And the other one says, you are powerless. Yes unless you are rescued by the grace of God. Mm. That's good. Yeah. That's good. And that's what that text really drives at. I want you all to actually write down Isaiah 65, 17. It is another text that, that mentions God himself creating the heavens and the earth, bara, that mm -hmm. same word there. But we want to talk here briefly about the difference between authority and manifestation. Yeah. Because I think, for some people, it may be a matter of misunderstanding right. the authority that God has given to us and using words of manifestation as opposed to operating in the authority that God has given to us, right? Yeah, yeah. So what, we're, what we have to distinguish is what we are inherently capable of that is in and of ourselves and what we can do because it has been delegated to us. Mm. That's the, that's the difference. It's, I am not able to operate in anything inherently that produces manifestation. It's not because I'm strong and big and powerful. No, if anything happens through me, it is because of something that has been delegated to me. Yeah. I am a steward over a, I am responsible for something, but it's not my, it's not even my power, <laughs> mm. so to speak. Yeah. 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 Mm. So there's an instance of delegation here yeah. as opposed to manifestation. Yeah. Right. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter one and verse number 28. Now this is part of the creation account. We talked about this in our last episode. This is on day six mm -hmm. and God has just created mankind. And he says he's created him in his image, right? Male and female. And we, we taught on this, um, a Bible study sometime last mm -hmm. Design, designed for more yeah. was the Bible study. Yeah. yeah. We talked about that, but look at what happens in verse number 28. Once he's created them male and female. Yes. He says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Delegation. Yes. Here in this text, he tells them he blesses them and then gives them instructions for the authority that they do have yes over the creation that he just brought into place right that dominion and and it's 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 not creation it's not authority over All everything creation yes god says birds of the air fish of the sea mm -hmm. and and the, the animals that walk on the earth it is it is that which is alive mm -hmm. that which has breath that which breathes you are to exercise dominion and authority over as I have given 
you authority. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a stewardship element that yes. also comes into play with stewarding the resources that are around them as well. Absolutely. And with restewarding, and that's why we want to care for the resources that are around us. And I'm not as green as most folks, <laughs> and I don't care about the care for the planet as much as I should, but that's part of our stewardship as well. It's, it's a delegated authority. It is a resource. The, 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 the planet is a resource that we are called to manage well and steward well. Yeah. 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 And so we also see that in Genesis 2. As we're, uh, again, you talked about this poetry piece, and we don't have time to jump into why there are two creation, quote-unquote, two creation accounts. Right. But in Genesis 2, there is a specific level of authority that we see in verse 19 given to Adam as well, right? Yeah. So it says that now out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of heaven, of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Yeah. So there, this is the idea of taxonomy, right? Yeah. Taxonomy is being able to categorize and name different things. God gave Adam this authority to do this act of taxonomy. But I think some people often confuse taxonomy with creation authority right and he did not have any creation authority in this instance he brought to him something that was already in existence yep now categorize it now you categorize use when we talk about being made in the image of god we're talking about his holiness initially prior to human disobedience and rationality mm -hmm. we we maintained after the fall after human disobedience we stayed rational mm. we have god's rationality Jesus has to come and restore the holiness through his life, death, and resurrection and our faith in him. What, what has happened, what's happening in Genesis 1 is that God is saying, I'm making humankind reflect me, and I'm setting humankind above the other creatures I've made mm. by making humankind rational. Yeah. And, and he's also saying, use the organization and structure that you just saw yeah. in me yeah. on days one through five. Mm -hmm. Now I want you to use that in your space that I'm giving you with these animals yeah. and create categories for them. Categorize. We have incredible capacity. Humankind is incredibly mm. capable <laughs> and, and, and more... More than our imaginations can understand, we're capable of. But that doesn't make us divine. Yeah. We reflect the divine. We are not inherently divine. And yeah. that's where we have to stop. That, that, that what is in us, what we are capable of, is a reflection mm -hmm. of God's power and nature. But it's, it's not that we have it inherently in and of ourselves so that we can produce whatever life we want. I'm going to give an example at the end of this because I want to <laughs> I want to save it for my for my coup de gras. Y'all hang on. Good, good, hang good. on. I want to save it. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go to a go to verse. Yeah. For a lot of folks. Oh, yeah. This is one of the if it's a Mount Rushmore mm -hmm. of <laughs> manifestation verses, <laughs> this would be one of them for sure. Oh, gosh. It's in Proverbs 18. Yeah. And y'all already know what it is, some of y'all. 
because you use it. <laughs> and we're about to help you. So Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life. Mm-hmm. Power of speak, the tongue. Speak life. I can speak life. Don't don't I, I don't speak that death. That you speaking death. I'm speaking life. I wish it were true. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There are people who would be alive today because of this verse. If it, it were true. If it were true, I would have spoken life. Mm. I mm. would have spoken life. There yeah. are people we've lost. I would have spoken life. Here's the thing. This is again, this is poetry. Yeah. Yeah. Let's start there. Let's start there. What's Genre. Your, yeah, that's the that's the that's the type of writing this is. There is a poetic device called a merism, M E R I S M. What is a merism? A merism is a device that uses two polar opposites to speak about everything in the spectrum. Mm-hmm. It's like saying from A to Z. It's not saying A and Z. It's saying A B C D E F G all of them all the letters. That's why Jesus says, I'm Alpha and Omega. He's saying, I'm from Alpha to Omega. I'm all of that. I'm everything. (laughs) When he's talking about death and life is in the power of the tongue, because it's poetry, if it's literal, Mm -hmm. which it isn't, but if it's literal, he's speaking about people who have the authority to pronounce a judgment that is capital punishment. So the only literal application of this verse is if you are the king or if you are a judge, you can say whether people live or die. That's, the, that's that. But it is more so a merism from death to life. What we say matters in every area of life that's the principle mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what this is about that what we say matters and it's not what matters to me it's that it matters to other he's talking relationally mm-hmm. he's not talking about speaking life to yourself or I'm, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time i'm 27 he's not talking about speaking life to yourself he's talking about relationally speaking in a way that is as it were metaphorically life-giving to others yeah and if you are a life-giving if you speak in people's lives things that are encouraging and uplifting and and faith building then you will get the benefit of it you those who love it eat its fruit you get benefit of being a positive influence in other people's life that's what it's about that's it and 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 while we're on genre real fast, I just want to say this to folks, especially when it comes to proverbs. Okay, proverbs ain't promises. No, no. You, you can't take a proverb and make it a promise to yourself, to your progeny, to anyone around you, because right. this is wisdom literature. Literally, there are back-to-back verses in proverbs that says, "Answer a fool according to his folly." Next verse, do not answer a fool <laughs> yeah. according to his father. Right, right. But there are two different separate outcomes from answering a fool. Yep. Then you become one, yep. right? And not answering a fool so you don't get caught up in foolish conversations. Exactly. exactly. And there are situations where you may need to answer a fool. And there are situations, social media, 
where you don't need to answer a fool according to his folly. Yes, sir. But you have to exercise wisdom because this mm. is a book of wisdom to determine when that, when that is the case. I'd I use this as a sermon introduction some time ago. It's, it's Kenny Rogers, the gambler. You got to know when to hold him <laughs> and know when to fold him and know when to walk away and know when to run. There are times when speaking up is called for, times when mm. silence is called for. What this verse is about is not you speaking life to yourself. I speak life over my life. No, you have been made alive <laughs> um, physically by, by God's divine uh, will that, that your mom met your dad. And then if you're going to have life spiritually, it's got to come through Jesus Christ. It, you're not speaking it. Hmm. He is providing it. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Yeah. So let's look at Mount Rushmore verse two as we turn to the, <laughs> the New Testament yeah. here. Yeah, man. Because this the one. This, yeah, man. Yeah. Proverbs might have been number two. <laughs> But this one might be more prominent mm -hmm. in the manifestation space. And it's in Romans chapter 4. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Romans chapter 4. Yeah, let's do this one. Let's do this one. Whew. Yes, sir. Romans 4, verse number 17. And this is, so Romans is like Paul's magnus opus. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the the book that he lays out closer to the end of his life where he's just walking through um, yeah. a, an immaculate presentation of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And this is where he talks about Abraham being justified by faith and how the promise is being realized through faith. Yeah. And folks take this one verse in 17 Ooh. and use it for other reasons. Yeah. Here's what I'm, I'm going to start in 16. Yeah. Uh, that is why. It depends on faith. This is talking about the promise of Abraham. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed. Now, who gives life to the dead? Who is the who here? What's the, who, what's the antecedent? We, 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 let's go to English class. Let's go to English class. Let's go to English class. Let's talk about the antecedent. Who is, who is the one that this is referring to before the comma? Okay. In the presence of, of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead. So the one who he believed in is the one. Is the one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And here's the point. Abraham and Sarah were too old for a baby. Mm. Her womb was dead. Yep. And God made it alive. And God said God was going to do it when it wasn't possible. Mm. The initial promise was made they were already older <laughs> then they got older and older and older and it was like well there ain't no shot at this point and then God did it hmm. God the old King James says this is what y'all use spoke those things that are not as though they are it's God doing that <laughs> that's there is no exhortation in scripture and the point of this passage 
is that we are to believe by faith mm-hmm. that, that God can do that because that is how we are rescued from our sin. It has nothing to do with you getting a car or a house or a boo. It is not about your business taking off. It's not about your children going to Harvard. Mm-hmm. That's not what speaking those things are not, that are not as though they are. That's not what it's about. It's about believing in the God who can speak and make and create ex nihilo out of nothing. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what it's about. Yeah, because that, that points to that creator God. It points to the one that we just talked about in Genesis and throughout the Old Testament is the only one who can create. He was the only one who could remedy that situation. Only one. The only one. The only one who can give Abraham and Sarah a baby in their old age is the only one who can provide a substitute, an eternal, eternally uh, sufficient, efficacious substitute for our sin. And we trust his creative power in Genesis. We trust his creative power in Abraham and Sarah so we can trust his redemptive power through Jesus Christ. Mm. That's what this verse is about. Mm. And that there's nothing we can do. <laughs> that we can't, we can't make it happen on our own. The whole point of this part of the book of Romans is that you cannot work your way or manifest your way into anything. Yeah. You have to believe your way into right, right relationship with the God who can do anything. Yeah. And, and that's what we really want to get at with you all in this episode is that, wow, as created beings, as the apex of God's creation, we're grateful that God himself has said, I created you in my image. And you all now have authority and stewardship over things on this earth. But don't get beside yourself. Don't believe that you can either speak, think or money your way into blessings because God himself is the one who creates from nothing. So there's no way even in our postmodern minds that we can create from scratch out of nothing. So I think that one of the things that I really want to tell folks today is that thinking too highly of ourselves really manifests itself. And I've used that term intentionally to thinking too lowly about our God. Yeah. When you think too high of yourself, you think too low of our God. And for a God who is sovereign and who is supreme, we as believers need to make sure that we're keeping him at the center of everything that we're doing. Yeah. I, I, we're running over time, out of time, but I, I want to say a couple of things. Um, someone says to that, John, yeah, we, I'm, I'm not saying I can create it. It's out there. I just need to attract it. Mm. Well, here's how things come to you in life. You don't attract it by your vibe or your energy. You can ask for it in prayer. Hmm. With the assurance that your God loves you, <laughs> will provide for you, and there, that God sometimes graciously gives us blessings and and favor that is an answer to our prayer sometimes god says no or not yet mm. or i'm vetoing that and giving you something better but 
prayer is. You have replaced prayer with trying to manifest things. Hmm. Prayer is what we should be engaging in. We should be asking God. We should be requesting. If Jesus had to pray, <laughs> you, you know, if the, if, the, if the apostles had to pray, if, if your grandmama got through life on prayer, hmm. that's rather than trying to manifest, rather than trying to pull the power out of yourself or create a vibe to attract it, talk to the God who made it all. Hmm. And trust him to provide and give. And not just, I'm not just talking about enough bread for the day. God does bless abundantly at times. But ask. Hmm. Ask. Yeah. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. I want to say that. I also want to say um, about, about this idea that we are so victimized by cultural concepts and we baptize them, as I said before, and the term I've used throughout our um, study time over the course of these last few weeks is, um, is syncretism. We want to make it fit our faith. But cultural trends rarely align with truly spiritual biblical practices. Yeah. If it puts you at the center, it's not biblical it's not scriptural and it's not the example jesus left for us mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And, and that's a good test for everyone you need to ask yourself that question do i find myself at the center of this practice and if your answer is yes then you have a a me-centered earth-centered mm -hmm. model and you're not pointing to the son sun-centered model I think that that science, that, that thought in science really reflects our spiritual practice because when you center everything on him, mm -hmm. then your questions come out differently. Yep. So you got to ask yourself that question. Is what I'm doing, is this practice I'm doing centered on me or is it pointing me to him? Yeah. Pointing me to him. So thank you all for joining us for this fifth episode of our knockoff spirituality as we talked about manifestation and we've said it's above me now mm -hmm. uh, each one of us believes that truth that that there's a god who is sovereign above us who knows our needs who knows our wants who gives us the best things according to his will and we will stand on that truth now here's what i want you all to do go over to our facebook page the growth factor go like that page because this coming week we didn't we weren't able to address it in this episode but we're going to talk about vision boards Ooh. on thursday night live we do a thursday night live so come through there so we can tell you about the vision boards and manifestation but go like that page make sure you go rate subscribe to our podcast on all major platforms again thank you all for joining us next go round we're going to talk about some gray areas mm. in scripture mm -hmm. and we're going to start with alcohol what does the Bible say about alcohol? Ooh. Can I get my drink on? Can I turn up? So y'all make sure y'all tune in next episode. Share the podcast. We're grateful for you all joining us. We'll see you next go round. This has been The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Be sure to follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and join our Facebook group, The Growth Factor, for daily motivational content. Let's keep the conversation going. Thank you for listening.